You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Metro Detroit. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Hey, what's going on, Kensington? Let's just all stand up as we worship Jesus this morning.
awesome. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Um, if you've never been here before, my name is Matthias, and I'm one of the worship pastors around here. And if actually you have been here before, but it's been within the last, like, three weeks, I, you've probably not seen me because um, we had a baby. So it's super exciting. But we are so glad to have you here at Kensington with us today. Um, go ahead and have a seat and then take a look at this video. Hello everyone, my name is Ryan Morrill and I'm the Kensington Kids Director at the Orient Campus. So today we're gonna to talk about a third party candidate on the ballot that is starting to gain traction. You may have seen these signs for Jesus 2020. Yeah, whatever. But before we get into today's message, a couple of things we want you to know. We know our weekends look different. Our Sunday routines have been derailed and life is stressful. But these services and other happenings throughout the week are opportunities to connect, refuel, and fix our eyes on Jesus. That's why we prioritize special events like the second Faith and Family online gathering coming up. We're bringing in psychologist and friend of Kensington, Dr. Jack Wilson. We could all use some help and strategies to help our kids and ourselves cope with stress and anxiety during these times. We would love for you to join us on Thursday, October 22nd at 8.30 p.m. for this digital event as we seek wholeness and peace in a stressful time. Register at kensingtonchurch.org slash faithandfamily. A great celebration we would love to share is all of you who joined our awesome Hope Water team. The generosity of people sitting in our seats and watching online is changing lives. It is changing the lives of generations for the Pokot people of Kenya. As of now, we've fully funded two wells this season. And if this isn't amazing enough, we have an anonymous Kensington family who is matching all donations through the end of the month. That means every dollar you give will be doubled through the end of the month, up to $30,000, which is incredible. If you donated, ran, walked, hosted a movie night, wrote a letter, if you prayed for the Pocot or a Hope Water team member, you shared your fundraising link or volunteered, you are part of the Hope Water Project. You are part of revealing Jesus through access to clean water. If you still wish to participate, you can text to give by texting the words Kensington HWP to 77977 and follow the prompt to give or go to kensingtonchurch.org. Every mile counts and select donate. We are in week two of our United series, looking at how Jesus can unite all of us during this fractured and divided time. Right now, we have a special message for all of our Kensington kids. Here's Joe. Good morning, my name is Joe. During church day, we're gonna be talking about something super important. All right, you ready for it? Loving your enemies, right? Whoa, too much going on right there. Love your enemies? Really? You're supposed to love them? Yup. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. In fact, Jesus talked about loving your enemies in the Bible. One time, Jesus was teaching to a crowd of people on a mountainside. He was talking about a lot of different topics and the people were absolutely amazed at his words. The things he was saying were mind-blowing. I'm gonna show you something he was saying in Matthew chapter five. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But here's what I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. Wait, what does that mean? I mean, most of us don't have full on enemies you'd see in a movie like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader or Batman and Joker or Aladdin and Jafar. 
but I think all of us have had a time in our life where somebody has been mean to us. Sometimes they hurt our feelings on purpose. And when someone is mean to you, that makes you want to be mean right back to them. And here's something that may have happened to you. Maybe you're like me and you love basketball. I love basketball. And maybe you love it so much that you saw some kids playing at the park or at school and you went up to them and you said, hey, can I play with you? Are you playing basketball? Can I play? Because I love it so much. And what if one of those kids said to you, hey, listen here, dude, I would never let you play with anything and I would never let you play basketball with us. Ouch, that would not feel good. If anyone actually treated you that way, you would probably want to be mean right back to them. Am I right? Well, Jesus said there's a different way. And in fact, he said there's a better way. And what did Jesus say we should do when someone is mean to us? He says we should love our enemies. You see, if someone says or does mean things to us, we might be tempted to say mean things about them, maybe even behind their back. But if someone is being mean to you, it might be because somewhere deep inside, they're hurting. And they might be acting like that because they've had a bad day. You could be the only person who's brave enough to show them kindness and show them love. You see, it's not normal to love your enemies. If it was, Jesus wouldn't have to talk about it from a mountainside. It's very normal for people to be mean to others who have been mean to them. Jesus changed all that though. He loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins, even though we didn't deserve it. He gave us a way to be friends with God forever. He loves us and he also loves our enemies too. All of us matter to him. Thank you, Joe, for that great reminder on how important and how hard it is to love all of those around us. So let's lean in today to see what God has for us and how we can fight for unity. Thank you for joining us today.
may be seated. You know, that um, song, if, if you're listening to it well, if you're singing it, it's really a prayer. And man, of all times, do we need God to breathe on our country, on our, on our, in our world, our church? Yeah, I mean, it's just a time of crazy. We started this series last week on division and anxiety. In 16 days, we elect a new president. Many of uh, us have already voted. It's just like uh, crazy. So we decided, you know, let's do a series called United. What unites us as a people, as a community, even as Kensington Church? And uh, if you were here last week, it was a great week. And you, you might know that we sort of made a statement of we believe, things that we at Kensington believe together. Some of you may... Uh, hear these and go, I'm not sure I believe them. Many of you, like me, I says, I believe every one of these. I'd take a bullet for these. These are uh, foundational to our faith, and they're foundational to our life at Kensington. And so last week, we introduced those to, to you. I'm going to show you a video where we just had some of our staff read those. I'm just telling you, next week, we're going to invite you to say them with us, if you believe these, because this is what unites us. In this series called United, what unites us? This unites us. You know, I grew up in a church, maybe you did as well, where every once in a while, actually, often we would state the Apostles' Creed. Anybody with me? Anybody remember that? And I can remember as a kid, like, what are we stating? I don't even know what this means. I don't know what it is. And now I know. It was a foundational mo moment to bring the church together to say, what are we united about? And we decided we need to do the same thing during this series to say, this is what unites us at Kensington. So you can just sit and watch this this week, but next week we're going to ask you to engage with this. But watch this. We believe. 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 We believe there is only one God who exists eternally as a trinity of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each member of the Trinity is fully God, yet each is personally distinct from the other. We believe the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, is the Word of God, written by people who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down exactly what God wanted to communicate to humankind. It is authoritative, trustworthy, and unchanging. We believe men and women are created in the image of God to live in relationship with God. Yet, the first two humans, Adam and Eve, chose to rebel against God, bringing sin into the world. Because of their actions, sin spread to all humankind, creating separations between humanity and God. We believe Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was the long-awaited Messiah of the Jewish people, and the Savior of the world. He was both fully God and fully human. He came to redeem all of humanity from the power of sin and death. We believe Jesus Christ was crucified and died on a cross, was resurrected from the dead, ascended to heaven, and someday we return to earth to fulfill God's eternal plan. We believe Jesus Christ's death on the cross paid for all sins. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ, not by being a good person or doing good deeds, that a person can be restored to a right relationship with God. We believe the Holy Spirit comes to live within a person once they have placed their faith and hope in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. The Spirit gives followers of Jesus the power to live as God desires them to live and gives spiritual gifts to serve the church 
and change the world. We believe the church, both local and universal, is the community of believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to scripture, the church organizes under qualified leadership, gathers regularly for preaching and worship, observes the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, are unified by the Spirit, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and the church's joy. We believe. We believe. We believe. Nós acreditamos. We believe. We believe. We believe. So again, those are statements of foundational beliefs of Kensington, and I think a lot of churches would agree with all of those, but that's really what we're united about. And, you know, we live in this crazy time where, uh, as I said, there's division everywhere. But, you know, as I, as I even think about this, as I take the offering right now, those of you that give, you're giving to that. You're giving because we're united around that. And I got to say, you know, the way we do the offering is uh, the slide's going to come up here. We're not going to pass a pouch because of the social distancing uh, uh, just being safe with that. So we do it online. People are watching. More people are watching online than are actually in the building. And I just want to say, first of all, thank you. We're so grateful to those of you that give that way. Can you imagine the church right now in a pandemic if we didn't have online giving? We'd be done. But people have stepped up and are giving generously, and it's a beautiful thing. And I think they, they give because we're reunited about the things we just uh, said. But if you've never given and you're online watching or you're in here and you want to join in, that's a uh, how you can do it. And then one other thing I'll say before I jump into the notes is tonight at 7 p.m. we have a civil discourse just like we did last week. We had the, the message in the morning, then in the evening we talked about the things we talked about in the morning. You can do that tonight uh, again at 7 o'clock. Uh, our own Becky Lee is leading this one, Who's at My Table, which is sort of today's topic, and we're going to expand that a little bit. What does that look like? And again, you're not, it's not going to be a live event where you come to the building, you just watch it online, and you can interact and engage that way as well. All right, so in case you don't know who I am, my name's Dave Wilson. I haven't been here in a couple months. I'm really excited to be back. I don't know if you are, but I'm excited to be back and be in a room. And it's interesting, you know, it's so different right now, churches, and I love this series we're doing. In fact, I, like some of you last week, uh, watched it, and I got to tell you, uh, Craig McGlasson killed it. Am I right? Killed it last week. And he thinks I'm saying that because he's sitting over there, but I said at the first service, when you were probably still in bed. But anyway, um, he's got the weekend off. He just came with his family to attend. But I mean, I watched it, and it was like, just nailed it. You know, how do we live in a, in, a, in a world, in a country that's sort of divided in a united way, and how do we treat people? And one of the things I wrote down, just to review, because I thought it was so significant from last week. I don't know if he said it exactly this way, but this is how I wrote it down. Our hope as we think about the election and the future of our country and the future of the world, really, our hope is not in a donkey or an elephant, but is in what? The lamb. I mean, that's a powerful truth that if you didn't write down, please write down or at least stick it in there, and you've got to remember that. Because in 16 days or two months, whenever we find out who the real president actually is, that person, whether it's Biden or Trump, is not our hope. If that's what we're putting our hope in, we are misguided. That will never be our hope, whether it's the right one or right. It doesn't matter what your beliefs are. That is not where we find our hope. And that's where we started this series, right? It's like, oh, man, that, that is so important. And it's really interesting. I was sitting 
because uh, so many people are worried about this and anxious about this, and I understand that. There's strong opinions, and you know who leads our country is very important, but there's this anxiety. And I was sitting in my kitchen the other night, and my youngest son, Cody, was speaking to a group of us, and he made this statement. It's one of these things, if you're you're a preacher, you know preachers do this. As soon as he said it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to use that this weekend. And I put it literally right at the top of my notes, because he said something that I had forgotten. And I thought it was something that helps frame where we're going in this series. And he just said this. He said, what you look at out, out there determines how you feel in here. In other words, what you're focusing on with our eyes and our, and our, and our place and our hope in determines our, 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 our sense of hope and peace inside. And I thought, man, that's so true. Because think about this. Well, let me finish what he said. Then he said one more thing. He said, I've never once looked at the face of Jesus and seen him anxious or worried. And I'm like, I needed to be reminded of that. Whether it's about the future of our country or my life or your life is you have never once looked at the face of Jesus and seen anxiousness or worry. He's not worried about the future and he's not worried about your future. And yet if you're like me, and I did this even yesterday, maybe you did the same thing, I wake up in the morning and I have a choice. Am I going to look at the word of God, which reveals the face of Jesus, or am I going to look at the New York Times email that comes to my email every morning? It tells me what's going on in the world. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I've done this too many times. I've opened this first. Like, you see the headline, like, what? There's a spike? What? What? You know, so the next thing you know, I don't know about you, but when I'm usually done with that email, I'm like depressed. I'm worried. I'm anxious. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. This is, this is important. I'm not saying don't read it. You need to read it, but it can't be the first thing or the only thing. It's like, no, no, no. I need to go look here because it will determine what happens here and it will determine how I treat people out there. It's so critical to understand that. I need to know that reminder and I think maybe anybody else need that reminder? It's like you and I have a choice every day, every morning, every hour, every minute. What are we going to focus on and then how is that going to determine how we live and then how we treat others and will we live united or not? And 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 I'll go back to you know, something that Craig said that we, last week as well, and I don't know if you know what today's called. Today's called Vote for Jesus. <laughs> it's sort of a joke, because we're not, we're not encouraging, you know, put a third party down on the ballot and say, I'm voting for Jesus. That would go real well. I don't think he's getting elected to be our president. But the idea is, if you vote for Jesus as your king, it will determine the way you live. And by the way, I know this. Some of you are a little anxious, like, are you guys talking about politics? You're not supposed to talk about politics. There's two things you're never supposed to talk about. This is what I was told in my home. Anybody know the same thing? Never talk about what? Religion. Religion and politics. Maybe that's not true today, but it was definitely true in the home I grew up in. Why? Because it always ends up in a fight and you don't do that. I'll never forget when Ann and I got married 40 years ago, by the way. We're so old. We got married 40 years ago. Um, her dad was really my dad. And many of you know my story. I didn't really have a dad. And so her dad, Dick Barron, was my uh, baseball coach in high school. He was the uh, Buckeye Conference commissioner of the, the conference we were in high school. Her brother was my high school center. I was a quarterback. Her other brother coached me. So I was really close with the Barron family. So Dick really became my dad. So the one thing I knew about Dick Barron, and by the way, he's 90 some years old now in a nursing home and almost at the end of his life. It's really sad to watch him. He's a beautiful man. But um, So the one thing that Dick Barron never talked about 
was politics or actually he never talked about anything but sports. I'm not kidding. Every single conversation was about sports. He was a coach. We'd go play pickup basketball and he'd grab me and say, you guard him and you guard him. It's like, Dick, just, you know, every conversation was about NFL, NCAA, you name it. Never did we talk about anything of significance. And I'm not kidding. So one day I sit down at the dinner table. We're in our first year of marriage. We're newlyweds. And Dick looks at me and he goes, you know what? I don't like Jimmy Carter, our president. And I was looking at it like, wow, we're going to talk about politics. I've never even heard him say that. And I knew that you got to be careful when any you know, politics come out. So I, I stepped in real gently. I go, well, why do you say that, Dick? And he goes, because he boycotted the Olympics. And I'm like, oh, so we're going to talk about sports, really. It really wasn't about politics. But, but here's the thing. Some of you think we're talking about politics in this series. We're sort of, but not. This isn't a series about politics. This is a series about how should a Christ follower, and by the way, if you're not a Christ follower today and you're watching or you're sitting here, this is good for you to learn because this is how a Christ follower should look. And shame on us, the church, if we don't live this way because this is what it should look like. United. How do we treat one another? And again, I don't want to do last week's message, but it sets up this week very well because Craig preached out of 1 Peter 3. I'll read it to you because it's very critical to, to remember, we start here, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And Craig did such a good job of l- ending with that. Even though Peter leads with it, he said, no, 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 this whole thing comes back to, if you're going to vote for Jesus, in other words, you're going to make Jesus number one in your heart, that's what it means to revere him as king, as Lord, then here's how you live. It says, be prepared to give an answer to anyone who, uh, give a reason for the hope that is you have. And then it says, but do this with gentleness and respect. And those two last words I highlighted or italics, is because that was the frame of last week, is how do you do this with gentleness and respect? And by the way, I'm moving on, but I'll just add one last thought. That is so important for us as Christ followers who represent Jesus and who represent the church and even who represent Kensington. is so critical that we do that because I've been on Facebook and I've been on Instagram and I've been on Twitter and I'm watching what's going on out there and I've actually decided to stay out of it because all I see is it's pretty ugly. And a lot of it is church people attacking church people about politics. And I, if I would say anything, I'd jump in there and say, please stop what you're doing. This is not representing the heart of God. Is there room for discussion? Yes. Is there room to listen and learn from another? Yes. But please do it with gentleness and respect. And I don't see that happening in very few places. So we have a challenge, church. You and me, whether we're online or we do it in our homes or do it in our neighborhoods, I know we have to be six feet apart, and I understand all that, but when we do it, it needs to be, is Jesus really your Lord? Because if he is, I think there'd be a gentleness and respect that would be so different that the world would go on, how are you able to be unified even though you're different? Because it's okay to have different views and voting. We're not all going to vote for the same person. And we never dreamed that Kensington would be a church that everybody's a Republican or everybody's a Democrat or everybody's a right or everybody's left or everybody's liberal. We never wanted to have that place. We wanted a place where everybody's welcome and you can love one another even though you differ in all kinds of different things. So what does unity look like? So I'm just going to give you three statements of what unity looks like because I think sometimes we misunderstand what unity looks like. And Jesus modeled this better than anybody. And the first one's this. Unity does not mean uniformity. If you're at the leadership gathering a couple years ago or last year, Danny Cox said this, and we had been talking about this before, so he just stated something that many of us have been talking about, but unity does not mean uniformity. We often 
misunderstand that to be unified means you all got to look the same way, vote the same way, be the same color, be the same gender, be the same economic status. No, 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 no. Unity doesn't mean you're all uniform. Now, it could be uniform, but it doesn't mean it has to be that way. In fact, here's a quick definition. Unity is the state of being united or joined as a whole. But uniform is the quality or state of being uniform, that all are the same. Now, here's what the world thinks. The world thinks you can't be unified unless you're all white or you're all black or you're all all men or you're all women. No, no, no. The beauty of unity is when you aren't uniformed and you're still unified, that's beautiful. You know what I'm saying? I mean, think about Kensington. If you go to the Troy campus or you go to the Clinton Township campus, and I hope you've done that, or you go up to Traverse City or Clarkson or Birmingham, any one of them, you walk in, sometimes you go, wow, this is different than Orient. Yes! Why? Different people leading it, different vibe, different culture. Why? That should be. Are we unified? Yeah, we're unified about the mission. We are completely unified about our mission and values here, but the way it looks on a Sunday may be a little bit nuanced in some way. If you meet my three sons, I know many of you never met CJ, uh, my oldest who lives down in Detroit, or Austin, my middle son who lives out in Denver, or Cody, my youngest, many of you know because he was here with me here. If you could see all three of them together for 15 minutes, you would turn to your spouse or your friend and go, man, they are completely different. I can't even believe they're drummers. I mean, drummers. I can't even believe they're Wilsons, right? But they're different. And it's beautiful. They're diverse, but they're all unified. Why? Because they're Wilsons. Sometimes I don't want to call them, but they're, they're Wilsons. And that's the way it should be. Every kid, every parent knows this, right? Ann and I just finished our parenting book coming out in April. And that's one of the things we talk about in the book is you've got to treat each one of your kids differently because they're uniquely created in the image of God. That's it. They're not uniform, but they're unified, right? That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing in the church. And guess what? Jesus modeled it for us when he chose his disciples. You think Jesus just woke up one day and said, hey, you dude, let's go, Matthew. Hey, you, Judas. No, no, no. This was thought through. This was prayed through. In fact, I'm going to read it to you. Luke chapter 6, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he has to pick the 12 men that are going to follow him. And it says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Now, why did I highlight spent the night praying to God? Anybody? Because I want you to see that he spent the whole night praying about this. This wasn't, oh, I'm just going to wake up and pick. No, no, no. God, who do you want me to choose? i got to choose the men that you want me to choose. Who do you want me to choose? It was deliberate when he made that. It looks like he just walked down the road and picked. No, no, no. This is very deliberate. And then look who he picks. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he designated as apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, many of us read that and just go on and have never studied who these people were. In fact, one of our great parenting moments is when we asked our youngest son, Cody, who the 12 disciples were, and he said, Noah and Moses. Like, okay, we did a really good job with that one. I think he was 18. But anyway, I'm kidding. But, you know, we're like, okay, he doesn't even know. And most of us couldn't name all those 12. But when you look through and then you study them, you see how different they are. They were not uniform. In fact, if you have not watched, watched The Chosen, anybody know what I'm talking about? The Chosen. It's a Facebook page. It's an it's a app. Go watch it. It's a, so well done. Season one is just a study of, of Jesus and his disciples. You get, and again, it's, it's, they're, they're taking some liberties, but you get a sense that, wow, Matthew was so different than Simon the Zealot. Yeah, right there you should be, you should be going, what's a zealot in that culture? A zealot 
was a left-wing radical, almost terrorist. He's a disciple, and Judas was as well. In fact, Judas came from the hotbed of assassins and zealots. He's a disciple. Matthew is as conservative and right-wing as you can get. They're in the 12 <laughs> together. Have you read anywhere in the Bible that they had fights? Nope. You read unity. How did they get along? Jesus, because he's the king and the center of their relationship, is able to bring unity between an extreme left wing and extreme right wing together in one of the most important groups ever formed in the history of the world. We are here today because the disciples' lives were so changed that they went and did what Jesus told them to do. They, they were sent and took the gospel to the world. Some zealots, some tax collectors who were hated and by the way, that's captured a bit in The Chosen, but it's like, wow, Jesus was able to bring that together? Yeah, unity does not mean uniformity. They were totally different, even believed strongly differently, but still there was unity. Why? Because around Christ, there can always be unity, even in the midst of strong conflict. And I added this little sub-point. It's not a whole point, but I added this. Unity in diversity is beauty. Unity in diversity is beauty. Why? Because I think unity is great when it's just all females or all men or all uh, white people or Chinese. I mean, you can put on, and, and there's beauty there. But when it's colorful, it's even more beautiful. Am I right? When there's people of color with white people, when there's females and men, when there's uh, people low economic status and very rich together and they love one another and there's, there's a unity, that's beautiful when you see it even physically visually when you see that color of the rainbow it's beautiful and by the way if you read the book of revelation it says the church when it comes together at the end is what diverse people of all nations and all colors and all ethnicities unified about the lamb about jesus it's the most beautiful thing ever and here's the thing the world looks at the church and sees segregation rather than diversity Unity, when it's diverse, diverse when it's unified, is actually beautiful. You know, a couple of Thursdays ago, um, my middle son, Austin, who many of you don't know because he's living out in, uh, near Denver with his wife, Kendall, married 10 years. They've got uh, two little guys, a uh, little girl, Olive, who's five, and a little boy, Porter, who's three. Those were their two kids. And he's always had, since he was a teenager in our home, a heart for adoption and a heart for fostering. So for the last two years, they've had a foster boy named Holden that they were fostering. And then uh, some of you know their story. Uh, th this little boy's mom had eight kids and let them all go, and it's a ba really bad story. So they had Holden, and they were told he'll never have another, this woman will never have another baby until last year when they got a call from the hospital and said, we were wrong. She had another baby. He's here at the hospital. You have two hours to decide if you want Holden's little brother. And they went and got Holden's little brother, Ryder. Well, a week ago Thursday, after almost two years in their house, they got to adopt Holden. And Ann and I flew out to be a part of it. Here's Holden. You know, cutest little kid in the world. Loves me. Poppy. I'm Poppy. And we just had to be a part of it. And it was actually on Zoom that we do this. So we sit in their office and the cool thing about Zoom is the judge is on Zoom in the courthouse, and all, anybody you want to be a part of is there. So we had 30, 40 people they had around the country. It was really cool. But, you know, it's really interesting sitting there with Austin and Kendall and holding, 
holding olive and, and um, porter, and it was like an hour, so we had pop, you know, suckers and everything going on to keep them engaged. But, you know, one of the things the judge said, it was very touching. She's like, Austin and Kendall, you do understand, right, that when you adopt Holden today, he has all rights to everything in your name. He has all your assets for life. It's more than just your name. He is fully your son. I'm sitting there going, this is the gospel. We are adopted like Holden, and we have full access to everything that's our father's. It's a beautiful picture. And so they adopted him, and now there's their family. And, you know, Ryder has to be blocked out because he's still a foster little boy. But there's Olive and Porter. And do you notice any color differences there? I mean, we've got a blonde and blue-eyed family with a little Mexican boy. And trust me, when you walk places, people look at you. Like, uh, something here doesn't go together. And yet, people that look and sort of figure out what's going on are like, oh, that's so beautiful. That's diversity unified. And when you understand that, that is the heart of God, and that is beautiful. Am I right? That is beautiful. Whether it's that color or any other color, whether it's gender, whether it's economic, when it comes together in unity, it is something you look at and you just step back and go, oh, that's it. Unity and diversity is the most beautiful thing ever. And I tell you, when we get that close to people, we realize we're the same. You know, when I, uh, and again, this was many, many years ago, when I went to college to play college football, just this week, somebody asked me, what'd you major in at Ball State? I said football. Anyway, you know, I was on a scholarship, and, it, and the thing I didn't know that was going to happen, and how would I know this, is when I got into that locker room as a freshman, I remember sitting there one day looking at, at the whole locker room, about 90-some players in a team meeting, and it hit me for the first time. I should have, I shouldn't have been so naive, but it hit me the first time. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm in a diverse locker room. I grew up in a little town in Ohio. I had no black people on our football team, not one, all white. I'm now in a college locker room that's mostly African-American. And I'm looking around and I'm like, I've never been a part of this world. And I had preconceived thoughts about them. They're different than me. They grew up different than me. We don't think alike. We're not alike. We're unified as a team. By the way, teams are beautiful because color and gender and sometimes status economic doesn't matter. We have a mission and we're together. So I remember sitting there and thinking, I bet they're so much different than me, they being people of color, until I went out to dinner with Stevie Nelson and Terry Bates and I could name all these players over four years. And I remember sitting there and having conversations and hearing their story. And their story went something like this. Yeah, my dad left when I was seven. I'm like, oh, yeah, mine too. Yeah, my mom and dad were alcoholics and uh, didn't work. Yeah, yeah, mine too. I always felt like an outcast because I never, yeah, yeah, me, me. I felt isolated and I really struggled. I have, I have bitterness toward me. Yeah, me, me too. You know, when you sit down with people you think aren't like you because they look different or think different or they've grown up different, if you take the time to sit at a table with them, guess what you usually find out? They're made in the image of God just like you. They hurt just like you. They have prejudices and race just like you. But when you sit down and you listen and you try to love like God calls us to love, you find out we really are a lot alike. 
I thought we're a lot different. We're really not any different. The question is, have you done that? Or are you just living in uniformity where everybody looks like you and sounds like you? Are you willing to step out of the comfort zone and invite somebody to your table or when you're invited to their table, step in and don't give them your viewpoints in the first five minutes. Listen to their story. You'll discover there's beauty and diversity. But we got to be honest, and this is point number two. Unity often comes through conflict. It's hard. Am I right? It is hard. Beauty is wonderful in diversity, but it's hard. And unity, if you're really going to get there, often, and not, not, not 100%, but often requires some conflict. There's some hurt feelings. There's things you got to talk through. There's things you got to work through. There's forgiveness that needs to be extended. There's forgiveness that needs to be received for you to really get the unity. Am I right? I mean, I know there have been many, uh, I'm not kidding, many Wilson family trips. We just had one not too long ago with, with almost our whole family together. We ended up in a fight. And I know you think the Wilson family's perfect. We are pretty much, but I make this stuff up just so I can be like you. But no, really, we had a fight and it went on for hours and it was hard. That happens in families, it happens in churches, it happens in locker rooms, happens everywhere. But don't give up when the conflict starts. The conflict can push you if you respond correctly and you follow the rules of conflict and you do all that kind of stuff, it can push you to the most unified, intimate place you've ever been in your marriage, in your family, in your church, in your neighborhood, in your business. It can, but most of us, when conflict happens, we're out. That's why I don't like those people. Those people. You say that, you're done. It's us people. And by the way, you're having a hard time with them? Trust me, they're having a really hard time with you as well. Oh, that can't be true. It's only they're the idiots. No, you're an idiot too. I'm not, but you are, right? That's what we all think. And conflict can push us to this. Again, you go into the New Testament and you see this unbelievable story that I'm gonna share with you real quick. And I'm, I'm, I've got to be honest with you. I'm borrowing from Pastor Chris Brooks. And he, was, he did a leadership gathering here a couple years ago and this was his text. And I was sitting right over there and I've never forgotten what he said that night. In fact, we showed it in July as one of our midweeks because we just sort of picked the top five, and that was one of them, so you might remember those things. And, and by the way, let me just say one thing before I tell you what he said. Pastor Chris Brooks is where, do you know? He's now at Woodside, just for uh, just a little over a year. Are we united with Woodside? Yes! We're all on the same team! Are we united with the Catholic Church down the street? Yes! Are we united with the Baptist Church over there? I can just name names, but I know you know the name Woodside. We're one! We're united! It's not us and them. We're all, we got the same jersey on. It's called Jesus, okay? Now they do it a little different. We do it a little different. We're, all the, we're, we're about one thing. Let's reach unchurched people that don't know Jesus. By the way, do you know how many there are in Oakland County? There's enough to go around, okay? There's like a million. They can have some, we'll have some. We're one. I just want to say that, all right? So when I quote Chris Brooks, it's like, oh, I'm quoting that other pastor over there that has a whole different thing. No, he's a friend. And he would call me a friend and Kensington a friend. So just know that. Okay, so here's what he said. I just wrote it down that night. Diversity is God's very good idea. That was the title of his talk. Diversity was God's idea. And then he said, man's really bad at it. Man's, he said, literally, man has ruined God's good idea. He said, when we stop loving God, we stop loving people, we mess up God's plan. And then he said, God is great at fixing what we mess up. And then I added this. And he usually does it through conflict. 
We think God never uses conflict. Nope, actually God uses tension and friction and conflict in relationships and in communities to bring us to unity. Now here's a story that, that um, Chris, uh, Pastor Brooks shared that night. It's this amazing story found in uh, Galatians 2. So Paul's writing a letter to a church in Galatia, but he's responding to a situation that goes all the way back to the book of Acts. Now, uh, if you know anything about the book of Acts, it's the book, like, if you're a pastor like me, you study the book of Acts because that's how the church started. You want to learn, how does churches grow? And one of the things you find in the book of Acts is that they unified around Christ, and then they divided between ethnic groups. They had Jews, they had Gentiles. The Jews said, we are favored by God. It's in the Bible. We are his chosen people. Gentiles aren't. You're outside. So the only way you can get in is you got to do all these different things to get in. Basically, you need to become a Jew. And then Christ comes, literally gives a vision, like in a, in a dream to Peter. And I don't have time to go into it. It's Acts chapter 10, 11. But he basically shows him a dream where he presents him clean and unclean food and says, Peter, eat. And Peter says, I will never eat anything that's unclean. So they had food that only Jews could eat. And you couldn't eat these, clothes, these, these foods because they were unclean. Only Gentiles could eat. And here's what Jesus says in the vision to Peter. It's a critical moment in the church. We're here today because of this vision. He says to Peter, do not call unclean what I call clean. He's telling him, Gentiles are just as chosen as Jews. You are one. In Ephesians 2, we started uh, a message months ago where we said Jesus has created a new humanity, one people. We're all one, regardless of our gender. and We're one, one race, and that's biblical. And so Peter, like, he became one, and he fellowship with Gentiles and Jews alike. It was a beautiful picture of what the heart of God and the church should look like and what our church should look like. And then conflict came. Galatians chapter 2, I'll just read it to you. It said, when Cephas came to Antioch, by the way, that is Peter, I opposed him to his face. So Paul is saying, I opposed him. I rebuked him to his face because he stood condemned. You're like, what's he, what is, what's he doing? Well, he's going to tell you. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Keep going. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me. When I grew up in church, I'd hear pastors read passages like this, and I'd, all I'd do, I remember as a teenager going, did he say circumcised? <gasps> you know, I was like, what does that mean? And then I'd sit there at the end of the day, and I was like, I don't even know the Bible. I can't understand it. That's why I never read it. It just makes no sense. Well, you need a scholar and an expert, me, to interpret it for you. I'm kidding. You can, you can go online, and you should be doing this, by the way. If you don't understand what that means, go online and type in Galatians 2 commentary. Commentaries, all the scholars, all this wisdom, all the years coming together and say, let me help you understand the history and the context of what's going on. I'll do that for you real quick right now. Trust me, it's a lot longer discussion. But the bottom line was Peter, the leader, one of the leaders of the church, now because he understood what God calls unclean, what God calls, what we call unclean, God calls clean. He was eating at the table with Gentiles. Now, many of you know this, but the table was a place of strong, intimate friendship. If you sat with others and ate with them, you are friends. There's no separation. So Peter is modeling, and by the way, leaders lead, and others followed his lead as he went and had Gentiles at his table. He invited them to the table, had a seat for them at his table. They fellowshiped together, and it's a beautiful thing. Paul's like, way to go. But we find out in Galatians 2, Paul said, I had to rebuke him because these other 
Jewish people came and he was afraid of what they may think of him associating with unclean Gentiles, he removed himself. He got up from the table. And Paul's like, what are you doing? This wasn't because he thought it was right. It was because he was afraid of peer pressure. Do you understand what peer pressure does to racism? Often, we don't do the right thing. We do the wrong thing because we want to be accepted by people we think are important. And that's what Peter was actually doing. So what's Paul do? Paul confronts him. By the way, think about this. You know, there's, there's like, you think of, was Paul really important? Oh, yeah, he's big time. Was Peter important? Probably more. He was a disciple of Christ. Upon this rock, I'll be my sure. So this guy is going to confront that guy. You think you can never confront a leader? You think you can never confront us? Confront us. Sometimes we need conflict to help us get on. So, so Paul confronts Peter, and look what he says. He says, uh, well, I don't know where we are. Oh, it says, yeah, here we are. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. He doesn't call it heresy, by the way. He calls it hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Remember I said leaders lead? Know this. Just, just remember this. Whatever you do, people are watching, and many people follow you. Even one of the other leaders, Barnabas, followed Peter's lead in a bad way. And he says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Why does Paul say this? What you're doing is not the gospel. The gospel is what? All are accepted. All are in. This is not the gospel. This, this is why he is so strong. He says, I got to confront you. And he confronted him in front of the church. This wasn't a private meeting. This was in front of the church. This is important. He said, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? What's he saying? You're a Jew, but you live in freedom to live free as a Gentile and eat at their table. And now you're saying to the Gentiles, you can't live free. You have to become a Jew to be accepted by us. That's what that move from the table stated. Then he goes on to end with this. It says, we are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. See, that was a works mentality, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is a big deal. You get it? So he had to confront and say, no, you can't do this because by removing himself from the table, it was almost as if Peter was saying, we are favored, they aren't. And that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. And Peter knew better, but he didn't know until he was confronted. And then as you read the rest of his story and the rest of history of the church, Peter went back to the table because he knew he was wrong. And how did he know that? Conflict brought it. Sometimes conflict brings back unity. I remember years ago, I think it was 2015 or 16, I was sitting down in the Lions facility on a Friday. We had a Lions uh, men's player study on Friday. We had a couple study on Monday nights, but this was just the guys in the locker room after practice, and we had like 20 guys come, and I'm sitting down, and we're getting ready to do some Bible study that I was going to lead about something, and uh, it was probably, again, 20 guys, probably 16, 17 of those players in that room were uh, African-American players, so they're sitting in my Bible study. Why is that important? Because of what I said. Before I start the Bible study, I had my phone in my hand, and I'm looking at a video of uh, Alton Sterling getting killed by uh, somewhere, I think... It was another black man murdered, and I just said to this, I just looked at it, I turned it off, I go, can you believe what's still happening, what's happening in our country? I can't believe this. And I put my phone down, and the room gets really quiet. So quiet that I was like, okay, what just happened? And they're all just sitting there. And I go, seriously, guys, what just happened? 
And they sort of look at each other like, who's going to tell him? <laughs> and I'm so naive, I don't even know what's happening. And I said, seriously, what did I, did I say something? Did I offend you? And one of our veteran players who's been on several teams and was, you'd know his name, he just said, Dave, that's been happening for generations. You're just seeing it because it's on your phone now. That's nothing new. And he sort of confronted me, like, dude, wake up. And so I put my notes of the Bible study aside and said, okay, I don't think that's what we're supposed to do today. Let's talk. And that conversation didn't just take one day, but I needed to learn and listen. And it wasn't just listen to people of color stories. There were white people in there had stories, and there were all kinds of beauty. It's like, wow, how could I be that naive? And here's the thing. Have you invited anybody to your table? Or when they invite you to their table, have you sat down with them and said, I want to hear your story? And I actually want to be unified because that's what God wants. Last thought, and I'll, I'll just make it real quick, and it's just this simple. Unity requires a seat at the table. I don't think that's how I said it. Unity offers a seat at the table. Another, here's, here's where I want to end. You and I need to initiate the invitation to our table. Now, if they invite you, that's great. But I'm saying, church, followers of Christ, what about it? we're the ones that step out of our comfort zone and say, come to my house. And the table's just a metaphor, but you understand what I'm saying. I want to sit with you. I want to hear your story. And if you want to hear my story, I'd share my, but I, I, I don't need to dominate. I want to listen. I'm telling you, that's scary. And that's hard. It's so much easier to do it with people in uniformity. We think alike, we look alike, we're the same. It's so much harder when it's diverse to say, I want to hear your story, whether it's economic or gender or race. doesn't matter. It's harder. And here's the thing. We're afraid to let them in our front door. You know, I'll end with this. And it's, it's, it's interesting how this just happened in my life. Two Saturdays ago, I was going to throw the football with my son, Cody. Now, here's the thing. Many of you know Cody played, had a scholarship at Central Michigan, played for the uh, Lions as a practice squad guy for a season and a half. And so now he actually trains receivers how to run routes because his size, you had to do it really technically well. And so he has people that he trains. Well, one of the guys he's training right now, and by the way, he needs a quarterback to throw. So guess who's the quarterback? All I got to do is throw routes to these guys, and he's working with them, and they video everything. It's real. I've never seen anybody train receivers better. It's just really something you don't get in high school coaching. So he gets to do that. Well, one of the kids he's trained right now is Kevin Valentine's son. Some of you know Kevin Valentine. He's our uh, lead pastor of our Orlando campus down in Orlando. His son, Garrett, just signed to play college football at Brown University. I don't know if you know this, but Brown and the Ivy League are not playing football this fall. Canceled. So they told him, you don't need to show up on campus till January. So he's up here doing an internship, and he reached out to Cody and said, can we train two days a week? So Cody's been working with him. So Saturday, a couple Saturdays ago, 10 a.m., Adams High School, meet Garrett and I there, throw routes. As I'm driving to Adams, Cody texts, said, Adams is full. We got to go to Oakland University, meet over there, find us. I don't know where we're going to be. We're going to find a field. 
So I go over there and find this little corner of this field, and it's all taken, but we have this little thing. And then my wife calls just as they're getting ready to throw routes, and she said, hey, where are you guys? I'm going to bring Bryce. That's Cody's little uh, two-year-old boy, almost two-year-old boy, over to run around the field where you're there. And I'm like, okay, we're at Oaken U, but don't park where I park because the parking lot's a mile away. There's apartments right over this road. It's closer. I don't know if they got parking behind there, but park there. You're thinking, why are you telling me all these details? You'll see. So she shows up, Bryce runs around, and I throw these amazing balls. Anyway, um, so we trade. Anyway, we go home. And it's Saturday afternoon, and I'm going to plop down on the couch and watch college football. Anybody with me? Yeah, baby. Big 10 starts next week. Anyway, so I plop down on the couch. And, as I'm, and when I walked in the house, Ann beat me home. And as I walk in, she goes, hey, I found this wallet. This is my wallet. But she held up this wallet. She said, I found this wallet in that parking lot behind that, those apartments on the thing. And I went through it. And she has all this money out. I go, what are you doing? She goes, a lot of money in here. Uh, but I'm trying to find out whose it is. It's an OU student's, I can tell. And I reached out to him on Instagram, but no response. I've got his number. Should I call him? I go, yeah, call him. So she calls. I go in and watch football. And here's what I hear. Hey, uh, this is Ann Wilson. Uh, uh, are you looking for your wallet? I hear this kid through the phone. Oh, my goodness, you got my wallet? I've been looking all morning. I lost it last night. I'm in my car right now. Where are you? And she goes, here's our address. Come get it. Okay, we'll see you in a minute. Click. Now, I don't know what you would say, but I walk out in the kitchen. I go, you gave a stranger our address? Anybody like me? I'm like, you don't give a stranger. I literally said, you don't, what? no, meet him at a gas station. What? He's coming to our house. He goes, honey, he'll be there in a couple minutes. And I go back in the family room. I'm like, I don't believe it. Some dude, he's probably, this is probably a setup. He wanted our address, you know? And so I walk out in the kitchen, and she's got chocolate chip cookies in a little bag. And she's going to give this kid. I'm like, you know, Ann, right? And I'm like, what are you doing? And she looks at me. I'll never forget it. She goes, honey, I think God's in this. I'm like, what? I think God's in I just have this sense God's doing something in this kid's life. And I'm not only going to give him his wallet, I'm going to give him some cookies as a blessing. I'm like, whatever. And I go in. I turn on God's football. And I'm sitting there. And ding dong, the door opens. And here's what I hear. The kid goes, Ann Wilson? Is Dave here? <laughs> and so I get up, I walk out of our foyer, and he's standing there, and he goes, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I'm in your house. I'm like, yeah, me neither, <laughs> you know. But I'm like, why do you say that? He goes, I grew up at Kensington. I've been there since I'm a, a baby. I'm a senior now at Oakland U. I've worked at Spring Hill. And he's getting really teary. He's a really sweet kid with a really wonderful, gentle demeanor. And so I just sense something's happening. Hmm, wonder if Ann knew, but I could feel it. I could feel it. Like I'm supposed to step into this moment and not just say, oh, here's your wallet, see ya. So I look at him and I go, dude, what's, what's going on right now? You're like emotional. And he looks at us and he goes, I just gave up on God six months ago. He goes, my faith has been my parents' faith my whole life. And now I'm old enough to go, I don't believe that anymore. I've just been living on their faith. Which is, he doesn't know this. We wrote a whole chapter on that in our book. Parents, it's got to become theirs. a whole other thing. So he says that, right? And he goes, so six months ago, I said, I'm done. And he goes, recently, I've just been praying, God, if you're real, if you see me, if you really do care about me, I need a sign just give me a sign. He looks at us, he goes, you're it. The fact that I, the person that picked up my wallet is the person I listened to my whole life. I'm standing in your kitchen. 
he goes to look at you, he goes, I just said to God, I'm all in. I am all in. He just says that. And we're like, wow. And Ann's looking at me like, told ya, you know. But here's, here's how it ends. We get to the front door and we're saying goodbye to him. And we pray for him, laid hands on him, social distance like that close, and pray to God would really make himself as real as he was that day in his life. And he has a cool major and I gave him vision for how God wants to use his major. And then as he's getting ready to leave, Ann looks over at me and she goes, oh my goodness, Dave's crying. Because I don't cry. And you know, she's like, what's going on? And this is what hit me. I'm just standing there looking at the situation. He doesn't know any of the backstory. I know all of it. And it just hit me. Look at what God did to bring a lost wallet and my wife to the same parking spot at a school we weren't supposed to be at at a parking spot she wasn't supposed it's just like it just hit me like God is that big and God is that personal and I almost didn't open my front door for that kid to come on my house because of fear so my challenge to you is this what's God doing He's that big. He's that personal. He loves you that much. And you know what I think he's doing with us? He's saying, I want to use you to open the front door and invite somebody to your table, and I'm going to build unity. You just got to trust me enough to say, here's my address. Or here's a restaurant. Let's meet. Whatever it is. Somebody that you're estranged from, somebody that you've been fighting with, somebody that believes differently than you, somebody that has a different skin color than you. You and I be the church and initiate and watch what God does. Father God, may we be your church. Man, what would it look like if Kensington was known as the people at the table who invite others to the table, not to judge, but to love and to listen and to learn and be united. God, may we be that, that people. And we can't, we won't, apart from you. So God, we need your Holy Spirit. We need Jesus, you to be our king. And then we need to step out in faith to trust you to do what we could never do. We pray this in the, literally the name and the very presence of Jesus, who's as real right here as he is tomorrow in our family room. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And you know, we're going to end doing a song. Beautiful song. So will I. I love this song. A lot of words. But why are we doing this? Here's why. What you focus on out here will determine how you live out there. So before we leave, it's like, let's take our eyes and go vertical and say, okay, Jesus, who are you? I praise you. Help me to live that as I walk out.
Reagan, I can't take this off. It's all stuck around my ear. Um, oh, there we go. How's that for ruining a moment right there? I wanted, to, I wanted to come up and say what we just sang is real because we're going to exalt someone today and tomorrow and this week. And usually it's ourselves. Honestly, it's usually our desires and our wants and people to believe like, we just sang, I exalt thee. And if we exalt thee, him, as king, then it means we do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to be unified. You might need to make a phone call today or send an invite and say, we got to talk. I want to hear what you're thinking. That's beauty in unity. And uh, here's the last thing. Some of you are like, man, I need to talk to somebody about this. Our prayer team's right back there. If you would like to pray about anything we talked about, if you're online right now and you want to jump in a chat room and talk to us about it, just go to kensingtonchurch.org and, and click on connect and you can talk to us there as well. And then tonight, don't forget 7 o'clock, you want to hear about this a little bit more, who's at your table, who you're going to invite to your table, 7 o'clock, go online. And then next week we wrap this thing up back here live and online. See you then. God bless you. Have a great week. See you. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.